This is episode 59 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is motivational speaker and founder of SCORE, Rich Keller. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Really excited to have everyone here for episode 59 and my chat with motivational speaker and brand guru, Rich Keller. Um, Rich has a kind of a long line, a long history of corporate branding and marketing that he's now sharing with a lot of entrepreneurs, startup founders, um, to help them form their one word and understand you know, how they can impact the world using that going forward. Um, I got to hear Rich speak up at the NextGen Summit um, a few weeks ago. Um, by the way, a phenomenal event for anyone out there that's a startup founder or an entrepreneur or maybe just thinking that they want to do something like that. Um, the NextGen Summit, and, and they have a series of events, um, it's a phenomenal place um, to kind of meet a lot of great people and, and just be around people that maybe have some similar thought processes. So um, I'll link it in uh, the show. Um, so go check out NextGen and the NextGen Summit um, and see what it's all about. I actually had, if you guys go back and listen to, slight plug, but um, Justin Lafazan, um, who is the co-founder of NextGen, he was on episode 32 um, and he shares a little bit about his journey and obviously how NextGen was started. So that's where I got to hear Rich speak. And he had such a passionate talk about his journey and the things that you know he was doing. I had to have him on this podcast. So um, I know you guys are going to, when I actually listened through this, by the way, because I always listen back you know, before I, I launch these things, I took you know a page of notes just because obviously I was enthralled in the conversation when we first have it. So there's a lot of great learnings and lessons out of this. I know you guys will absolutely enjoy it. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Rich Keller. Let's get it started. Hey, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Oh, thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. I, you know, obviously we didn't get a chance to meet up at the Next Gen Summit a couple of weeks back, but I did get to hear you speak. It was passionate. It was, it was just filled with so much great information. I'm like, I got to have you on here. So I'm Thank appreciative you. that you're taking some time out to, uh, to join and share your story uh, with the audience. So um, let's start back. You know, so what I'd like to do with a lot of folks is, I want to understand kind of, you know, you're doing what you're doing today and, you know, I bet you would agree, right? 20 years ago, you never thought you'd be doing what you're doing today, right? I'm oh sure God. things have, right? Not so, close. <laughs> so, but I want to start back maybe and, and see if there's any patterns we can pick up or things you've learned back from childhood, adolescence kind of going in, because I know you were doing a lot of, you know, branding and marketing, those type of things for some big corporations we'll get into, but can you take us back to childhood a little bit? Sure. Some of the tendencies that you had, um, you know, was there that entrepreneurial type, you know, kind of mindset or was it totally different? Can, can you start us there um, and then we'll kind of take the story from there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think one of the things that I um, have done over the last couple of years is really gone back to my childhood to really see the whole story and how it all connected. And one thing I can absolutely say was that I was a kid who really yearned to connection I grew up in a very um, challenged home. My parents fought all the time. I did not get along with my brother. I had a twin sister. 
who I really think I smothered because I was in such, um, you know, desperate need for connection. And I've always been the type of person that liked to bring people together. And whether it was for, you know, discussions, topics, you know, creating an idea. And one of the things that I, that I have always wanted to be as a kid, if you knew me, there were two things. One was a talk show host and the second one was an actor. And it's kind of ironic today that I'm a motivational speaker, but I think it has come full circle because um, I just always wanted to be around people and connect with people. And it was funny because I read a little bit about your bio, Brian, and one of the things you wrote about was your newspaper route. And I had a paper route as a kid. I had over 100 customers. I got up every morning at 5 o'clock a.m., and I would be the guy who spent the entire weekend collecting the money because I every every customer would invite me in their house. And so this yearning for connection as a kid, I think has always carried out um, because I grew up in a home where I felt invisible. I didn't feel like I had any value in my house and like nobody was there to almost talk to me because everybody was sort of doing their own thing and fighting and arguing. And um, this need for connection has always been a thread for what I do today, which is connecting with people and trying to um, help them. I'm a helper. I'm a giver. I, that's something I've always um, struggled with because I hate receiving and I love giving. And today I'm owning it and I'm celebrating it. And one of the big things that I've learned in my new business, which we'll talk about, is how important gratitude is and how important it is to give first because you'll receive so much more in the end. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, a, a great thought. I, mean, I definitely agree wholeheartedly with that. And uh, yeah, it's some of the neat stuff you're doing today, which is really cool and, and helping connect folks and, and helping having that story. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, so why did you decide, you know, obviously going into college and then after that, why did you decide to kind of, you, you work with some big brands, right? I think Kraft yeah, and yeah. stuff like that, right? Why did you decide to go that route from a, like a marketing, branding, you know, those type of things? Why did that appeal to you? Well, I graduated college with an accounting degree. And if you know me really well, that is probably the last thing that would, should have been on my list as an accountant, because I was always the person who went to the client and spent the time with every client in their office, not doing the auditing, because accountants spend a lot of time in the back room. And when I joined Cooper's and Librand, which at that time was the big eight, one of the big eight accounting firms, I, um, I was trying to, I guess, find the industry that I loved, and I found the consumer products industry. Had a client, I think it was Unilever, and I absolutely fell in love with consumer products. I fell in love with the opportunity to work on something that everybody knew about. You know, one of the things that was big for me is when I would say, where do you work? I would say Nabisco. They're like, oh my God, I love Oreos. I love Chips Ahoy. And I got like a real high from working on things that people you know, used and ate and interacted with in their daily lives. And so well, the problem I had was that I tr when I tried to get into a consumer products company, everybody wanted to put me in the accounting department. And I didn't want to be in accounting anymore. I wanted to be in marketing. And that's when I got the idea to go and get my MBA. Um, and I went to the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania, and brilliant decision and move. And I loved it. And ever since that time I got my MBA, I've always had this need and this drive and desire to work on brands that everybody knew about. So I spent seven years at Godiva eating a lot of chocolate and marketing chocolate. 
um, spent a lot of time at Cadbury, Kraft Foods, Nabisco. And what's great is that every time I go out to an event and people would say, where do you work? It was just an immediate conversation. And I think that yearning for connection for me is what made me want to be a part of brands that everybody else knew and loved, because that was an easy way for me to be visible and an easy way for me to have a group of people around me because everybody wants to talk about the food they eat. What were some of the, I'm sure you learned a lot of things, but what were some specific around like branding or marketing that, that maybe caught the consumer's attention or anything that you could share that was really helpful that may be helpful for someone starting a small business or, you know, thinking that way of how they brand their business? Absolutely. One of the things that I learned very early on in my career was that um, I I learned the difference between a product and a brand. So many people say to me, you know, so many people think they know what a brand is. A brand is not a name. It's not a logo. It's not the tagline. It's not the package design or the product itself. A brand is simply an emotional identity. And a lot of times when I worked on the brands I worked on, when we went into focus groups, we would literally have consumers write a story about going and spending the day with the brand. So if you spent the day with Godiva, that would be a very different day than if you spent the day with M&Ms. And that identity that you create around a brand is exactly what a brand is about. It's If you're going to tell a story to somebody about a brand you bought, that story is the brand. And so one of the things that I learned early on was in order to really create that identity for a brand, you have to know the value that the brand brings to your life. And so one of the things that's really clear is that if your brand is not solving a problem, it just becomes another brand on on the list. And it's not going to be purchased as often because if you don't solve a problem for the consumer, there's no need for them to buy the brand. And so I learned early on that if I could take all the brands I worked on and I'm able to determine the value that each of those brands brought to your life, I knew that we would be able to break through the clutter. Can I give you an example just to prove my point to your listeners? Um, Do you chew dentine gum by any chance? Have you ever chewed dentine gum? I'm sure I have, yeah, at times. So on a scale of one to 10, one being a very fruity gum and 10 being a very minty gum, give me a number for dentine. Um, I wouldn't say it's, I would probably have to put it like a seven, eight, nine, something like up there. Beautiful, beautiful. So I joined that brand at the time that fruit gum was coming out, fruit and mint, and dentine is not a fruity gum. And so they really thought they were going to be in trouble. So I said, let's go out and do some groups. And we went out and did some focus groups with teens. And one teen said something that changed the whole game for the brand. He basically told the moderator, if I don't have dentine gum in my mouth, I don't get the girl. And she was like, oh, tell me more. And he said, listen, if I don't have fresh breath, nothing happens. There's no activity. And he like gave her a wink. And the truth is I sat behind the window and I said, wow, this brand is all about confidence. So your product is not your brand. So they use gum to drive confidence because if you don't have fresh breath and you're not confident, you can't kiss the girl. You can't go on the date. You're in an interview in front of someone with bad breath. The whole game is over. So building an identity around confidence for a gum like Dentine all of a sudden allows you to branch out to partnering with dating sites, 
partnering with like a LinkedIn at the time LinkedIn wasn't around, but it's, it's when you know what value you bring to the world, that's what you market. You don't market the gum, you market the confidence. And that's what I learned in my marketing career. If you want to break through, every brand has value. You just have to determine the value and then build your story around that value because people buy value. That's when they open the wallet. That's when they'll spend all the money that they have because the value that they're getting is instrumental to making their life better. Yeah, that's a that's a phenomenal point. Um, and I think it gets lost a lot, right? Everyone wants product, 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 and they don't realize that you know there has to be some story there, right? There has to be some some idea behind it. Um, hundred hundred million percent. When you go into a new a new shop, like a bakery shop, and you see a story at the front that's on a on the wall frame nicely, that is there intentionally for you to connect. Like people connect with people based on their story. You're more apt to connect with somebody that's that's authentic and imperfect because they have a story. They've, they've climbed that mountain. You are engaging to help that person succeed. It's not about the muffin. It's about the story behind the muffin. And I always tell people, if you don't have, if you don't tell your story, especially in personal branding, which is what I do now, if you don't tell your story, how do you expect people to connect with you? It just becomes a transaction then. And the next person that's cheaper is going to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. Can we veer off the tracks and go a whole other different direction? I love that. Talk about something that obviously is, you know, a passion for you, but something that obviously a, a tough life issue that you went through, um, overcoming cancer. Yeah. And yeah. how that led to some other things that you're doing. Can one, can you talk through that if you're okay with it? Like, yeah, of course. What happened when that happened? What was going through your mind when that happened? Oh, of course. Of course. Um, I, well, first of all, I, um, I, this may sound very, um, unusual, but having cancer was probably one of the best gifts that I've ever gotten. And my wife is also a cancer survivor and was also probably, despite the, you know, the hell we went through, it was also another gift. Um, I woke up at 26 years old with testicular cancer. And my first thought wasn't that I was going to die. My first thought was I'm never going to be a dad, which despite the challenging childhood I had, I, that is something I always wanted to be. I wanted to have kids. And I, um, I, when I, was diagnosed. I was dating my wife at the time who was in medical school. I had an HMO, which at that time is not great insurance. And I I was just lost. And the truth is, I had my wife and her family come in to almost save me. Her dad, uh, you know, who I call dad today was a doctor as well. And um, I, a true, true story or a funny story, I went and Googled what you should never do. And it said, that the five-year survival rate for testicular cancer is about 98%. But I read it as I have a 98% chance of living five years. <laughs> so I was just a mess. And my wife's like, you read it wrong. And I'm like, don't tell me I read it wrong. You know, I'm the one with the cancer. But when I really took a step back and realized that, I was like, you know what? As they say, best cancer to get because it is curable. I, you know, I definitely, I had gotten into business school two weeks before I was diagnosed. So talk about a high of, you know, getting into Wharton and then a low of, but you have cancer. Can, but can I, I ask, yeah. because actually it's, 
I'm just thinking about it now because obviously, you know, I'm 36 and, you know, you think about some of these things, you know, my, some of my grandparents had cancer and what have you. How did you get diagnosed? Like, because I'm always yeah. one like, okay, if I go to yeah. the doctor, I get my normal blood work. Do they does yeah. that show up? I'm just curious. No, 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 absolutely. It's a funny story. I took my wife to Colorado. I was dating her at the time. I, it was a surprise ski trip. This is going to sound so crazy, but when you fly, I guess fly over the Rockies, everything expands. So I remember my deodorant can was like huge. And I literally landed in Colorado and I, I just had tremendous groin pain. And everybody was trying to tell me that, oh, you know, you're skiing. It's, it's you know, you went over the Rockies or, you know, it, it's nothing. And I got to tell you, when I first had it, I thought I, I, I knew I had cancer at that point. I knew I did. I, I don't know why I can't explain it. But it was about three or four weeks later that I decided, after everyone told me I was crazy, I decided to go get a sonogram myself without telling anyone. And bingo, the minute he did it, he was like, yeah, there's something there. And so it, it, it was groin pain. And I was one that, you know, they always say, you know, men should check themselves. I never did that. I just, it's not in my realm to ever do that. Um, but it started out, and listen, I tell everyone and listeners, if you're listening, you got groin pain, get to the doctor immediately because I was lucky. I had it at the time. I don't remember the, there was a Phillies, I think first baseman that had uh, testicular cancer and then Lance Armstrong had it many years later. They did, they waited and it, you know, the longer you wait, the more it spreads. So, um, so for me, I, I, I went with my intuition and I was right. And then obviously, you know, when people, heard and you know realized wow that was a smart move it was just something in the back of my mind that just didn't feel right for a couple of weeks i i had a lot of pain and then how long was that process to go through did you have to go through a, a chemo process or something I, went, else? I i had uh i had surgery um i had radiation i had also a procedure that I don't think they do anymore. Ironically, I had moved to Philadelphia to have all my treatment because I went to HOP, Children's Hospital of uh, University of Pennsylvania, because I knew going to Wharton, I would need to go across the street like every you know six to eight weeks. But they do a procedure there called a lymphangiogram. I'll never forget it 26 years later. A lymphangiogram where they, they inject dye into your um, feet and then it travels up your body and you could feel it as it's going up your body. It's this warm feeling. And then they take a body x-ray. And it, what it does is it tells you if there's any cancer throughout your body if the, if the fluid stops. And in my case, I was very lucky that I didn't, the painful procedure, but I, it, it reduced my treatment significantly. Um, but I had radiation. I, I was very ill from the radiation because they basically radiate your abdomen because as you, when you're born, that's where your testicles form. They form in the abdomen and then they descend down. So the abdomen is not a great place to radiate because it's hard to eat and digest. And so what was literally two minutes of radiation a day for probably eight to 10 weeks was awful. <laughs> it was just not fun. But I will tell you, my wife's cancer was actually more of an impact on me than mine because my kids were nine and 12. My wife had advanced breast cancer as a gynecologist, which is really ironic because she detects it every day. And for some reason, you know, just living crazy lives, raising kids at that time, that was a hard one for me because she literally told me, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I just was in another world. I had, you know, I, was, I had a career, two children, that was the moment for me 
when I really stepped back and I realized that I was not connected to my children the way that I should have been connected. And the blessing there was I almost was starting to repeat what had happened to me in the sense that I was the guy that was at the game, but I was on my iPhone. I was the one that said, great shot. And, you know, my daughter struck out like I, I wasn't there. And so it made me wake up and come to terms with the fact that, you know what? I wanted to be home. I didn't want to be on planes. I didn't want to be traveling anymore. But it's really hard for guys to admit, you know, after getting an MBA from a top school and moving up the ranks in companies, that's not really where my heart was. And so it was time for me. Um, I went into therapy after my wife's illness because I just had to really come to terms with everything that was going on in my life. I was happy, but I wasn't present. I wasn't focused on who Rich Keller is. And it took a lot of courage for me to admit that what I really wanted to do was be with my children. I wanted them to, um, I had to earn their like. I knew they loved me, but if they don't like you when they get older, they don't have to come back and they don't have to include you in their life. And that was a moment for me that truly was a blessing. And thankfully my wife's doing great eight years later, but that was almost the gift. I feel like he was knocking and saying, you better get reality check quickly because if you want to live the life that you truly want, you're not doing it right now. And it transformed from that moment. Wow. That's great. That's great. Um, and, and I also read now, I don't know if it was the same timeline now or was it back, but about, you know, finishing, you, you always want to do the New York city marathon and finish yeah. that and that, that kind of trend. And can you talk about that too? Cause I think, you know, yeah. a lot of people run a marathon, but they don't do 501 C3 charities and set that up and stuff. Can you yeah. talk about that? Absolutely. So I grew up in a home where I was 100% not athletic. And my brother was incredibly athletic. He was the captain of the high school football team. And I bowled. Bowling was my thing. And I'm laughing about it as I tell you. But one of the things I one of the recurring dreams that I had during my cancer treatment was crossing the finish line of the New York City Marathon. And I don't know why I had that recurring dream. But literally, I had a friend at work, Kathy Morella, still a friend today, and she ran the New York City Marathon. And I was going through the whole you know, story of her training. She sat next to me. I watched it the day that she was in it. And I looked at my wife and I said, I think I need to run the New York City Marathon. Now she laughed and so did everybody else around me. Ha <laughs> ha, you know, you're gonna run a marathon and you know what? That is the one thing you should not be telling me is that I can't do something. And I literally put my shoes on the day that literally the day after she finished the marathon, it was probably 2002. And I went out for my first run. First of all, I was a mess. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? But damn it, every single day for one year, I went out and ran and I got myself up to eight miles, 10 miles. I literally, there was a cemetery across the street from Nabisco where I would run every night and call my wife and say, if you don't hear from me by 9.15, come get me. Because it was pitch black, but I was determined. And when I ran that day, probably one of the most incredible events of my life. I mean, it was hard. I say 26.2. You never forget those 0.2 miles at the end. But it was... I think when I look back, it was a triumph. It was, you can do whatever you put your mind to. 
And it was blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, it was, you know, the body's not made for this, but I did it. I did it in five hours, 29 minutes, and 50 seconds, and I'm proud. <laughs> That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. And then after that, you know, the charity idea was my son's idea. He had a project in school and he had to come up with an acronym and make it into a charity. And so we came up with this idea score for the cure. And it's an acronym for support, cancer, outreach, research and education. It's a sports charity. I think we're, we're, we're going to start to do more with it, given my new business now, because I'm on my own. But um, it supports pediatric cancer. We've done art auctions. We've done, um, you know, raising uh collecting and donating equipment. Um, we've raised money for at my kids' schools. And it's just a way to give back. And it's a way for my kids who didn't know what I went through because they weren't alive, really figured it out when they saw their mom go through that. And they now understand. And it's just a way for being, you know, have gratitude and help others when you're incredibly fortunate enough to have the life that you have. So... It's, it's a lot of full circle activity that's gone on in our lives. But one of the things that cancer taught me is you got to write your own story and live it. And you got to walk the talk and you just got to, you got to, you got to shut up and go. And if you're not going to do it, own it. And if you're going to do it, go make it happen. And I think that's one of the biggest blessings that I look back now as I'm, you know, working through my new idea and my new business, that's one of the things that I, I always keep remembering that I've seen, I've seen the worst and thankfully we came out of it. And I feel like that's my gift back to the world that I have to give back and make the impact because I'm, I'm very lucky and a lot of others aren't. Well, and maybe let's, let's use that as a nice bridge over to that topic is, when did you decide to leave kind of quote unquote corporate America and kind of go out on your own thing? Was this, was this kind of a, a side hustle, if you will, to start the motivational speaking your, yeah. your, or did you kind of just rip the bandaid off and leave? Um, yeah, it was definitely not a side hustle. So um, I, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I was on entrepreneur entrepreneurially minded, you know, throughout my life. I don't think I was like a lot of people ask me, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? And the answer was, I, I'm creative. I've, I've done a lot of creative things, but I, I was always, I had two issues. I didn't have the courage and I was constantly in fear that we're, you know, when I'm just, I don't make it or we're not going to have any money and the roof's going to cave in. And one of the things that I, I, I've always knew in the back of my mind is that I needed an act too. I, I was turning 50 and I knew that, you know, corporate America is, you, you know, it's not that they're not good to ageism, but you know what, 10 years from now, I, I, what am I going to do next when I'm done? Like, I'm not going to be 65 being a, you know, a, 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 an executive on the senior management team. At some point I'm going to have to go. So in the back of my mind, I was like, what am I going to do next? It was always, you know, we had moved, we had started downsizing. We had started preparing for the fact that my kids were going to college and I knew something was going to happen. And I was literally at work one day. Um, I worked at a lingerie company. I had, it was great. I liked it. I literally got up. Um, I was getting my performance report and it was, it, it wasn't what I expected. And I realized at that moment, I am absolutely not living my value. I'm a catalyst, by the way, that's my one word. And I was absolutely not being allowed to be a catalyst. And I quit. 
I quit on the spot. I, I left on great terms. I stayed an extra six weeks, but I literally told the CEO of the company, I, I can't do my job. I can't be myself. And it was funny when I, when I told him everything, he goes, that's the first time I've really seen the real rich. And I said, because that's who I am and I have to be true to myself. And so I left, I had no idea what I was gonna do next, Brian, but I knew I wasn't going back to corporate America. And it was September of 2017. And about a month later, I two things happened. Number one, I decided to go into motivational speaking school. I joined an online school because I knew I wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't know what I would talk about. And I thought I would just talk about my life. And one of the things you learn in motivational speaking school is that nobody cares about your story unless there's something in it for them. And I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do now? And about a month later, I got up in the middle of the night. I, you know, the joke is my wife's a gynecologist, so we never sleep. She's always, you know, the beeper's always going off. I got up and I looked at her and I said, I think I have my idea. And so I'm going to take you back to about two years before that moment in, in when I got up in the middle of the night. Two years before that, my son was applying to college. Smart kid, private school educated, really nice guy. He was preparing for his college interviews, and I asked him one simple question that changed the entire trajectory of my career. I simply said to him, tell me about yourself. And he looked at me and he said, I'm a high school junior. I'm hardworking. I like video games. And I remember saying to him, that's all you could say? He goes, I, I don't even know what you want me to say. I go, you don't know who you are? he was like, I, I, I don't know. I've never been asked this question. And it was at that moment that I said to him, I have an idea. Why don't we do the same process I do with the brands I work on and try to see if we could discover your value in one word? He thought I was crazy. We did a couple of exercises. At that time, it was all in my head. It was not a business idea yet. And we came up with his word. And his word is perseverance. And I said to him, now I want you to go. And I want you to spend the next probably two or three weeks. And I want you to write a story for your college personal statement. Tell me a story about your life that demonstrates your value of perseverance. And two weeks later, he came back with an outstanding, unbelievable essay about Sleepaway Camp. This is the thing about college acceptance that people don't understand. They don't want you to solve world hunger. They don't care if you created the next cancer genome. They just want to know who you are. And he wrote about a story about a campfire event that he was involved in at Sleepaway Camp, where it was two teams, first team to burn both ropes wins. His three best friends were on the other team as fire builders. He was a fire builder on the other team with his two other friends. Not only did he lose, it was the largest differential in the history of the game. So I think they burned their ropes in 11 minutes something, and he burned his at like 28 minutes something. Okay, largest differential, not a good thing. He talked about the moment that he almost walked away and gave up. And he realized at that moment that he was selected as a fire builder to show the younger kids at that camp that you never give up. It was beautiful, written from the heart. He knew his value and he got into Cornell. And it was at that moment in the middle of the night where I said, why am I not helping one million young adults out there discover their value in one word and then build their identity around that value because we all have a core value and the problem is when you ask somebody tell me about yourself the first thing they'll tell you is what they do for a living they don't tell you who they are 
And when you lose your job, you think you lose your identity. I have so many friends that are out of work and they have no identity. And I say to them, yes, you do. It's your value. But we're not taught to think that way. And that was when I had the idea that I'm going to travel the country. I created a platform called SCORE. It's an acronym for Stand Out, Conquer Obstacles, Reach Excellence. And the whole idea is discover your core value. Everybody has one core value that if I put you on Survivor Island, that's the value that will come to the top immediately. And I saw it with my son. My daughter went through the same process. Her word is driver. She has drive like nobody's business going to Vanderbilt in the fall, wrote an amazing essay about sports and her athletic career. And at that moment, I said, I'm going to do it. Now, here's the thing that happened. I wanted everybody to tell me it was the worst idea in the world. How could you think about doing that? And everybody I asked said, I think that's great. You should have been doing that 10 years ago. You should be out there speaking. I said, but I don't have the courage to do it. They said, yes, you do. And I then formed a coaching team around me. Because one of the things I learned as an entrepreneur very early on, you cannot do it alone. And I got a coaching team around me and they gave me the courage along with my son that day. That moment gave me the courage to say, you know what, I'm a catalyst. That's who I am. Go disrupt the conversation around the question, tell me about yourself by having people discover their one word. And from that moment, I think it was December of 17, I just started building and going and doing. And I've learned, there's about a million lessons I've learned along the way. There's a lot. Yeah, we could, I, I wish we had like two hours just have you just rip through them. <laughs> we have to well, do a part share, two. <laughs> I could share some of them that, I, that I've learned that I think your, your viewers would, um, I think, really benefit from. No, absolutely. Yeah, maybe. What would what would you say if you? And again, it's so hard to rank sometimes, right? Sure. It's like, what would be maybe the top one or two that maybe come up a lot, or things that you feel like you're you're having conversations about a lot? Yeah, yeah. I think um, definitely the two. The the probably the first move that I made that once again people told me I was crazy. Um, there are two buckets in this world when you're an entrepreneur. There's a reputation bucket and there's an income bucket. And you got to fill both of those buckets. And one of the things I did early on was I decided to do free work. I said, I will speak anywhere. I also said that I will have people, I needed to create a workbook and a process around discovering your one word. Because when I did my very first talk, just to test it out, people came up to me and said, well, what's my one word? And I said, I don't know. I'll get back to you. And my coaching team said, we told you, you have to create a process. And what's funny, Brian, is that it's a contagious thing. Like, if I don't know my one word, but you know your one word, oh my God, I'm feeling left out. So the first thing I would say is the more free work you do to build that reputation bucket, the income will come. It's reputation first. You have to drive awareness of who you are. You have to drive awareness of the value that you bring. And once you do that, the income will follow. If you do it the other way, you're just going to be pounding the pavement and just hunting all day. So the first thing I would say is build that reputation bucket by doing free work. I guarantee you the money will come. The second thing that I would say to your listeners is five words change the game for me. How can I help you? When you lead with gratitude, every time I'm out with someone, I always say to them, 
I will thank somebody that calls me for to work up to work with me and hire me as a as as you know their their uh, coaching consultant. I always say thank you for the call. They said, but I'm the one that asked you for the call. No, you lead with gratitude. And then when we're done, I say, how else can I help you? And at the end of the day, you get to decide whether you can help them with that. See, when I was growing up, it was, I was always afraid to ask people, how can I help you? Because then I'm like, oh, I have to do what they, what they want. No, you don't. You could say I'm not qualified. or You could say, I absolutely would love to do that. But when you ask somebody that question, they immediately will come back and say to you, well, how can I help you? And that's a good way to build that rapport because you lead with gratitude. The more you give, the more you live. And I didn't believe that until I was on my own and I said, I'm home. How am I going to get out there? How do you build awareness of who you are? You do that by offering your value first for nothing to build the reputation bucket. And then the second bucket you fill is income. And little by little, they they start coming to be equal. And at some point, your income takes off because your reputation is solid. And I'm glad that I followed my own instinct on that one because, you know, some people say, why would you do free work? You're putting it out there. You're giving, I'm doing that to build my reputation. It's about, it's about the focus I had on me to get my value out there because I want to impact lives. I want people to hire me. I want people to want to work with me, but they're not going to work with me until I go out there and show them what I can do. So it's free work, lead with gratitude. And then the last thing I would say is engage first and sell second. So many brands that I worked on in my career sold first, engaged second. That's a price game. When you engage first and sell second, that is a winning formula for success because people want to be connected with other people and they want value. And so if you give them that value, that wallet will open. If you don't do that, then it's just a discount. And, I'll, and I, I'll talk to you at the next sale. And so many people can't, it's hard for them to understand that. And I, I lived it for my career in marketing and now I'm living it today. I always lead with value. The rest will come. Man, that's, that's some great deep advice there. Um, I appreciate you kind of sharing that and, and labeling that down. Um, layering that down into a couple different areas. Uh, like can I ask something? Yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, can I ask something random? And, and I, yeah. I wrote a note down here. You were telling us the story earlier about quitting. Um, did you talk to your wife about that before, or did you just quit on the spot? Oh my God, Brian, that is such a great question. I did not talk to my wife about that. In fact, when I got out of the office where I, you know, told my boss I'm leaving, I called my wife and she's like, "Listen, I can't really talk." And I said, um, I quit my job. She's like, ha. Ah. I go, no, no, I quit my job today. And you know what she said? Congratulations. That, 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 I mean, I'm really lucky. That's the other thing I tell everyone, get a support system around you. You cannot do this alone. I have so many people that are fueling me and pushing me and tell me, telling me you could do this because it's hard. You, know, you have to have courage. Courage is a muscle. And so my wife, She's been the biggest supporter. She was the one that said, just go and do it. We'll live on a farm. We'll downsize even further. My kids, who in the beginning were like, I can't believe you're doing this, have looked at me now and said, thank you for teaching me that you got to do what you love and, and the money will come. Or the money will come to the level it comes and you live that type of life. You live the life commensurate with what you bring in. 
So it's really funny that you say that. I, it was a spontaneous decision, but it was the best one. If I had told my wife, I don't know if I would have quit. She may have said, wait a little, or I did what I thought was right at that moment because it was my time to, to go live and, and make a difference in the world. I think if I didn't have this idea and it was a year later, of course, she'd say to me, listen, you have to go do something. But she's been the best support system. My coaching team has been great. The clients that I work with, I become friends with them. That's the other irony. My wife's like, you know what? You spend them a little too much time with these people. But I'm like, I like them. They're great. I want to help them even more. So I'm living my full life. I'm, I'm a catalyst that connects. And that's what I'm doing. And why did you decide? Uh, and one, by the way, I appreciate you kind of sharing that a little bit deeper, because I, I, I think one of the things that gets lost a lot is that support system, how important it is. You know, we all, we all hear that, you know, you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time yeah. with and other yeah. things. But I think Vital. it's really important to, to have that support system and, and having them kind of give you that nudge um, and the tough love when you need it, but also be there, you know, to kind of you can lay your uh, head on their shoulder kind of thing. So 100 percent. Hundred percent, and and Gad, you you said you had um, you wanted to build on something else. Well, I was just going to have you. You know, if you have one more thought on that, go ahead. Um, no, 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 no. I want uh, we'll we'll build on that as you share the next question. Well, so I was curious because you mentioned about obviously with the clients you're working and stuff, you could have went and did corporate consulting, right, for big brands again, but just did it on your own. Why did you decide to start working with entrepreneurs, startup founders, those type? What what was the what was the reasoning behind that? I, Brian, that is exactly where I was going to go next. So this is awesome that you asked me that question. I love it. Um, okay, here's another just tip that I was never the type of person that did this, but now I do it. I just stayed open-minded. Like, just stay open-minded. Like, it's almost better that you don't know where you're going to be next, but you know what the you know what Oz is. You have a vision at the end. And so I fell into this entrepreneur idea. So literally next gen where you were at as well, um, I met, I saw the, I saw a post one day on Facebook and I just don't know why I read it, but I started reading it and I thought immediately about my son. I'm like, this would be a great summit for my son. And I just happened to click on the link that said, Justin Lafazan, who's one of the co-CEOs. And I realized he went to Penn and I was like, oh, I went to Penn. Now I could be his dad. I mean, I'm old enough to be, you know, his father. And that afternoon, I called my son's best friend at Penn, who was a freshman at the time, and I said, "This is crazy, Gideon." But do you know this guy, Justin Lafazan? And he goes, "Of course I do. He went to the same sleepaway camp as your son and me." And I was like, "What?" And he he said, "Yeah, he's a great guy. Do you want to meet him?" And I said, "He's never going to call me, but yeah, make the intro." And Justin emailed me within ten minutes of that email. And I did one thing that I've never done. I owe a lot to Justin and Dylan for opening up these doors for me. But the one thing I did was when we spoke in January of 2018, I did not have my idea yet fully fleshed out, but I went in for the big ask. And I said, Justin, listen, I have this great idea. I just quit my corporate job making a lot of money, but I want to make an impact in the world. Can I speak at your summit? And I thought he would laugh me off the phone. And he said, tell me about your idea. And I told him, and he said, I'm going to get back to you in a couple of days. And I remember saying to my wife, he'll probably tell me, you know what, come back in 19, 2019, call me back. And he said, we'd love to have you speak. And I'm like, are you serious? And I went and spoke. I was blown away by the 2018 summit. But then I had this idea 
the idea that I had was entrepreneurs are the brand. When people buy your, when you're an entrepreneur with a venture, people are buying you. They're not buying your venture. It's not a brand, it's a venture. And so with this insight, I remember leaving, true story, and you heard it at my talk, I thought to myself, I wanna help these guys build this brand. And I wanna infuse their core value, their one word as the identity of the brand. And I called them and they thought I was crazy because they didn't know what they didn't know. They were like, all right, if you wanna do it, you know, I'm like, listen, I, I promise I'm gonna help you guys build this identity and we're gonna be more than a summit. And that's how Momentum came to be. And the whole identity around Momentum for Next Gen gave me that insight that you know what, if I can help entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs with my marketing career, if I can help them discover their value and then infuse it as the identity, they sell themselves and their venture at the same time. And, and I started getting other clients from Next Gen. I had these two guys from a company called Universal Dialect, great guys, call me and I started working with them and, I'm, and it worked. And then I had another client and I was like, wow, this works. And one of the teams I worked with won the whole pitch competition at Next Gen two weeks ago. And they were, they, were, they were my clients, the hush guys, as I call them. And so because of this open mind that I had, I realized that I love working with young entrepreneurs because one of the things that I bring to the table is wisdom. And if you get the right people that will listen to you, like I'm so grateful to Justin and Dylan for listening because they could have easily said, eh, whatever, thank you. But they want that wisdom because you could start a business at 15, but you don't have the marketing chops to build the brand. And that's when I realized I could take the one word idea that I have, and I still have it, and I travel the country in high schools and colleges and companies and conferences, but now I have a whole leg to help entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, infuse that as their identity. And I think I gave this to you at my talk, Brian, but it's the, it's the parent-child analogy. You're the parent with the value and you're the brand. And if you infuse that value into your baby, your venture, and you nurture that venture and you raise it to go to college, once it becomes a brand because it's got your value, they go off on their own and you can pull back and do, it, do other things. But in the beginning, you have got to be, as that young entrepreneur, the face of that brand. You got to be in it to win it. And if you're not, then people can't buy your story. Then you just become another summit or another product or another cookie. But when you're in it, people, unless you have an identical twin or a triplet, there's only one you. And that is the insight that I that NGS helped me get into. And that was my aha moment. And I'm grateful to them. And I will continue to help them because they're the ones that helped me see that I can give young entrepreneurs a gift and help them build their brand and themselves at the same time. Yeah, that's really awesome. Hey, how can everyone find you online? How do, how do they so connect with you? I have, my website is therichkeller.com. And that's because Rich Keller was taken. So I'm therichkeller.com. Um, and you, uh, my, my email is info at therichkeller.com. Anybody can reach out. I, I would talk to anyone. We could set up a call. Um, you could catch me on Instagram, Rich S. Keller. You can catch me on Facebook. Um, but therichkeller.com is probably the best place to go to my site and learn about me. 
So you've shared so much advice and wisdom already, but I'll ask to, to kind of end our, our chat on, um, I always like to kind of keep it open forum, but whether sure. it's a quote you buy or maybe one piece of advice that's guided you that could be helpful for someone else listening, Absolutely. anything you would share to kind of uh, end our conversation on? Yeah, the, 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 I'm going to share the one, the biggest piece of learning that, that has really helped me um, with my career. First of all, I'm going to recommend the book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It is my Bible. Um, absolutely, everybody should go out and buy this book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Here's the thing I learned. Um, the brand is never the hero in the story. When you, as you are the brand, pers- let's talk personal brand for a second. You are the guide. You are not the hero. Your job is to guide yourself and your value into the life of the consumer who's the hero, okay? That is a really important analogy. So many brands wanna be the hero and they wanna put themselves out there, even personal brands. They wanna have every Instagram photo be about them. You are the guide. Your job is to take your message and build your content around it, but make the consumer the hero. And when you do that, the consumer is going, they love you because in the end, isn't that what brands are about? If you buy toothpaste and your breath is fresh, you're the hero. The brand was the guide. And, and I find so many of my clients, I have to spend some time getting them to understand that. It is not about you putting yourself out there. It's about you putting your message out there, but give it to the consumer so they're the hero. And I'll leave you with this thought. My daughter, when she applied to college, I said that to her in her applications. You are not the hero of your application. The, the hero is the committee because they, at the end, have to say, we have a great class. You are the guide. So in that application, you, tell, you signal to them how, you know, all the things you've done, but you do it in a guide way. And that's why my clients that I work with show success because that change in mindset is really the bingo at the end of the day. You, you as a brand are the guide. You're never the hero in the story. And I'm going to leave them with that. Rich, this has been awesome. This has been a fabulous conversation. And, and I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and sharing all this, uh, this wisdom. Um, I thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you gave me this opportunity. I, I just want to help as many people out there discover their one word and and live life like I am. So thank you. Hey everyone, I hope you got a lot of value out of that episode. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. If you haven't been enjoying these interviews and these shows, um, I really appreciate it if you head over to iTunes, give me a rating, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. Um, It's the only way I can make this podcast better each and every episode. Um, And connect with me online. Um, at Brian Andreco or at Just Get Started Podcast on Instagram, or check out my website, brianandreco.com. Um, that's where I house the podcast, my blog articles. Um, I even have a now page to update everyone in the last couple months of what's been going on in my life. Um, at worst, it's for my mom so she can keep tabs on me and make sure I'm okay. Um, but I've really enjoyed the feedback so far. This has been phenomenal. Um, what's been accomplished so far with this podcast and all the great guests I've had and really excited for the trajectory going forward. And really, the gratitude goes to you guys for listening, for chiming in, for giving me feedback. 
Um, and for keep listening, keep pressing play. Um, obviously, you guys are getting some value out of this. So I'm so grateful for just the opportunity um, to share these messages with you. Um, so I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah.